Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I was perpetuating a narrative of everything being perfect and actually, it was damaging some of the people that I love the most, my nieces, because they felt that they couldn't be messy, they couldn't mess up, and they had to live up to this thing that I was putting out to the world. Hello, and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. And we're on a mission to help you achieve your goals. We're all about sharing the secrets of the world's most innovative and pioneering successful women. Hear their uplifting stories and practical advice right here. Yes, right here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then why not sign up for our newsletter at hello at don'tstopusnow.co and keep listening for this week's latest episode. Hello. Bonjour. Konnichiwa. Thank you for being here today. We've got a unique treat and episode coming up for you because this week, for the very first time, we're having a second interview with one of our guests. Heidi Hackamer was on the show first around two and a half years ago. And we first heard about Heidi as a leading creative thinker who ran her own unique, highly regarded brand strategy agency, W&W, in New York. When we spoke to Heidi back in July 2018, she'd recently joined the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. That's the multi-billion dollar philanthropic foundation founded by pediatrician and um, Priscilla Chan and, of course, her more well-known husband, Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook's co-founder. But not that long after our interview, things went wrong. Nothing to do with our interview, by the way. <laughs> and Heidi was fired. Not only that, but when she got back to New York, she had to close her brand strategy agency, W&W, too. We learned about this because Heidi wrote an extremely brave and vulnerable article on Medium describing what had happened and how low she was feeling. We admired her amazingly generous honesty in this piece, so we reached out to her and it was just as COVID was taking hold everywhere around the world and we all began to work from home. Heidi agreed to speak with us. Now, after our conversation, we made a decision not to publish the interview as it just felt so raw. But with Heidi's permission, we've agreed that now is the right time to share her story. She's well and truly bounced back from the lows she describes and is now the executive creative director at Oatly for North America. And I love how she describes working at the high growth oat milk business as like riding a rocket ship in a good way. It's a great description. Yeah, I know. It's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? Now, what Heidi shares in this episode is so generous and valuable for all of us to hear. After all, nothing is permanent and plans go awry on a regular basis. They certainly do. 
So in this episode, you'll hear how after being fired, Heidi initially couldn't stop worrying about money, her advice for others who lose their jobs, Heidi's generous sharing of all the things she did to pull herself out of depression and bounce back, and the inspiring reason she shared her extraordinary piece on Medium. Even if you're securely employed right now, we really recommend you listen to this unique conversation. And if you know someone who's lost their job, make sure they listen to this too. They'll thank you later. So enjoy this episode with the generous and very thoughtful Heidi Hackamer. Heidi Hackamer, welcome back to Don't Stop Us Now. Oh, thank you so much for having me again. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, it's really wonderful to have you back on the show. And, you know, last time I think we spoke, it was around July 2018. And life was a little bit different then, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was slightly different. Yes. <laughs> Heidi, when we last spoke to you, you had this sort of real incredible life. You were commuting between San Francisco and New York and splitting your time between this dream job as VP of engagement at the Chang Zuckerberg Initiative and running the company you founded, W&W. It was a pretty incredible life. And I think actually we were interviewing you and you were in your toilet because it was the only quiet place that you could do the podcast interview. Were you in San Francisco? I think you were. I was in San Francisco. I was sitting on the floor of my bathroom. Yes, yeah, right. absolutely. I, I remember right. it vividly. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Funny that. So, so you had this incredible, crazy life. And then in September 2018, it sounds like it all came crashing down. Can it you did. tell us a bit about it? Yeah, of course. So yeah, early September, I got fired from Chan Zuckerberg, which wasn't it wasn't the biggest surprise that I got fired. I'm grateful that I took the chance and I did the job. But um, yeah, I got fired. And then I came back to New York. And I have to say, you know, you describe the life as this kind of fabulous life of going back and forth to New York and California, which in many ways it was fabulous. I don't want to say it wasn't, but it was also terribly exhausting. Yeah. And so I rode my motorcycle from San Francisco back to New York City. I rolled up to New York, very tired, just worn out in so many different dimensions. And then um, my partners decided that they didn't want to run W&W anymore. And I wasn't in the place to do it. And I never intended to go back and running W&W full time. And so I ended up closing my company about five weeks after I got fired from Chan Zuckerberg. Wow. And parlaying your situation then into a situation that I suspect many, many people are facing today, thanks to coronavirus. How worried were you about your financial situation back then with both, you know, leaving CZI and then closing your company? And if, you know, finances were a worry at all to sort of think about people in today's scenario, what did you do practically? It's a great question. Finances were definitely a worry. When I read my journals from that era, there's a lot of sleepless nights around money. Yeah. And money just kept coming up. I was obsessive about money, you know, but this isn't the first time I've been knocked on my ass from a career standpoint. This is the third time that I've been knocked on my ass. The first thing you got to do is you just have to really take stock of your budget and really take stock of the lay of the land. And I used to be afraid of money when I was younger, but now I have a much more healthy relationship with money. 
Yeah, that's great advice that money can be a great stressor, even just thinking about it. Many people can't face the idea of just doing a snapshot of where they are financially and, as you say, what those needs are. And if you can do that, that actually takes so much of the stress away because it gives you clarity. What were your practical steps after that once you knew what your situation was? Financially? Yeah, financially. Just having to have the discipline to live by it (laughs) is really the crux of it, right? And understanding runway, which is very similar to understanding cash flow in a business, right? When I was running W&W, I was always obsessed with how much longer do we have before I have to get another check in the company? It was this ticking clock that I always had in my head. And so in many ways, this is a very familiar feeling. I actually think it's more terrifying to have a payroll of W&W, what, like 20 people, knowing that you have to get the check-in from somebody somewhere in order to feed all of them, right? Running a company kind of prepares you for moments like this where you, you have that concept of the clock of how much time you have before shit gets real. Did you have to get creative around your finances or were you sort of once you'd done that were you okay this time around I was okay different stage in life now I actually have a partner I've never had a partner before (laughs) so I think that that was actually the most uncomfortable for me was him saying to me you know I got you you're going to be okay you don't you know you don't need to figure this all out on yourself and me trusting that was probably the most difficult part of all of this because in the last two times, it was all on me. I had to hustle and figure it out. Now, that being said, I never did have to tap into the bank of Thai to deal with it. But in some ways, I had to get used to trusting and being comforted by that. It didn't feel very comfortable in the beginning. I can relate to that too. Yeah, for sure. Heidi, can I come back to when you got to New York and I think, was it three or four of your business partners decided that they didn't want to go forward with W&W? W&W was your baby, I think, and you you put a lot of your life and heart into that. How did it feel? Yeah, I mean, it felt awful. It felt like I was getting punched a couple times. I'd also went through a really intense couple of months of picking apart every single decision I ever made in leading that company. And um, flagellating myself about all the things that I did wrong. It was a tough six months. Um, I uh, was very quickly went into depression and anxiety. I never had anxiety before in my life. It was a new thing. So I would say for six months, I was really deep in the tunnel of that. Then that's when I wrote that post that you guys read. Yeah. And then <laughs> the thing that broke it, the first, the first breakthrough was getting back on my motorcycle and taking another 4,000 mile trip and meandering that time. And that was the first time that it kind of broke. And then it kind of broke in waves, like uh, one experience after another. And now I am not depressed anymore and I don't have anxiety around it. And I'm feeling very content about everything now. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. Yeah. It was rough for a while. It sort of reminds me of grief. Oh, absolutely. You probably were going through grief, weren't you? Well, that's funny you say that because I was going to a therapist for a while and I was explaining all this stuff. And she said to me, she's like, you know, you're, you're just going through grief and mourning. 
you're using the same language that my my clients who have are experiencing death or the breakdown of a relationship use. It's the same language. It's the same emotional space. And I guess I consider that grief could apply to a business context, but I think it absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. And having gone through such an intense experience and looking back on it, what would you say to yourself if you could? now, if you were in it again? So that's interesting because even when I was in the depths of it, I kept telling myself, there is another side. You're going to get through this and you do need to walk through this fire. You can't pretend like this isn't happening. You can't pretend you're okay. You need to fully experience this or else you're never going to get over it. And so I don't think there's anything I could have said to myself in that moment different than what I was saying to myself, which was, you're going to get through this. You're going to feel good again, but not yet. Yeah. (laughs) And if you try, if you try to rush to the other side and try to like feel good too quickly, it's not going to be real. So have the bravery to feel it. And I allowed myself that. I did give myself that time and that space to really dive into the emotions and the experience that I was having. Amazing. You mentioned the Medium piece or article that you wrote when you were sort of kind of in the depths of the tunnel. Yes, both Claire and I saw that, read it, and thought it was incredibly powerful and incredibly vulnerable and brave of you to post that. How and why did you find the courage to share what you were going through when it it obviously was still, you were still going through it and it must have all felt quite raw? Yeah. You know, look, I'd just gotten fired by Mark Zuckerberg. So part of me was like, fuck social media and all the bullshit that we put on it. Right. Yeah. Um, So, and I'm still kind of salty towards social media in that way, but it really was this dinner that I had with my niece in Chicago. This is just after everything had gone down. I was visiting Chicago and she was talking about how afraid she was to make some moves in her life because she was afraid she was going to fail. And how old is she? She's a senior in college now. So she was like a junior in college, like 21. And so we were talking about the internships and post-college and like, you know, she's like, well, I don't know if I'm afraid if this doesn't work out, blah, blah, blah. You know, I said to her like, why, why are you afraid? And she's like, well, I just don't want to look like a fool. And I said to her, I'm like, Anna, look at me. (laughs) Like, do you think I'm a fool? Like I've obviously, I've had massive public failures, like just in the last couple of weeks. And she said to me, well, it doesn't look that way on social media. And I realized that I was perpetuating a narrative of everything being perfect. And actually, it was damaging some of the people that I love the most, my nieces, because they felt that they couldn't be messy, they couldn't mess up, and they had to live up to this thing that I was putting out to the world. It broke my heart. And because Anna is like, going to rule the world, but she's going to have to take some chances. Anna has all the heart capacity and intelligence to like, really make massive, awesome moves in her life and make real impact and change. But if she is afraid and if if women her age are afraid to take some jumps, to take some risks, because we're so afraid that social media is going to beat us down, then that's a failure on all of our parts. And so that post was a love letter to my niece, Anna. And I did it completely for her and for my other nieces to show them that it doesn't always have to be perfect. And you can still hold your head high even when it's hard. Wow. 
What did she say when she read the post? Well, she's not very verbal in that way. (laughs) (laughs) We're kind of a prototypically German family, like where we don't like love on each other too much. So I think she gave me a fist bump on on a text. (laughs) 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 Which, you know, I get it. And like, I'm like, I see you, you see me. I I know what you're doing. You know what I mean? It was enough. (laughs) And, you know, look, you were in in the depths of the processing of the, the grief that you were going through. How did it make you feel after you'd posted it? Oh, it was scary. I'm so grateful that I did. It opened up a lot of heart spaces with people. I can't tell you how many founders proactively called me to get together and to really talk to me about their businesses for the first time ever, even though I had been friends with them for years. So it opened up this vulnerability space and it opened up this honesty space with a lot of really good people. I did feel a bit self-conscious that like, oh, I guess I just marked myself like the loser of the industry a bit. And a lot of people are like, well, what are you doing now? Like I read that post, but like now what? You know, like there was a bit of confusion about what I was doing and would I always be known as like depressed Heidi? I was very aware of that, but I'm grateful that I did it. And I don't know how I was brave enough to do it, honestly, because it was scary. can totally imagine just because it's putting yourself out there in a way especially thanks to social media that we are not primed to do. And yet because of its rarity, the power and the cut through and the value that it added to people to to show that, you know, these life events happen to all of us or many of us all the time and yeah. no one talks about them and how to how they're processing them or how they feel. So it's fantastic to hear that whilst there might have been, you know, sort of some concerns along the way about would you be labelled that forever, that overall now that you do have no regrets about posting it? No, I don't. I don't. And I'm realising now that you never get labelled something forever unless you choose yeah. to allow that to happen. That's- but for a time when I was when I was getting so much attention for it, I was like, oh, my God, am I, is this going to be like my legacy? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there, there's a bit of worry around that, but it, it, it actually all dissipated. It's fine. Fantastic to hear. Now, thinking again about the situation the world finds itself in today with coronavirus and the job losses that have already happened and the ones that may still very well happen going forward. Having been through what you've been through and come out the other end, what's your advice to people who find themselves they've lost their job in terms of their mindset and their self-belief and self-confidence? So, I mean, the first thing I would say is like take the time to process it. There's nothing wrong with being mad or being angry or being hurt or not feeling like you want to get out of bed for a couple of days or maybe longer, right? Like allow yourself the grace to do that. Something that I realized probably about four or five months ago, and it really was a huge break open moment for me, was I think the reason that I was feeling quite depressed and anxious was because I was gripping so tightly, like I so badly just wanted things to feel in control again. And I so badly wanted to feel that things were right again, whatever right would be. And what I realized one day was that we are living in an era and a society where things are always going to be changing we have the environment shifting underneath our feet 
We have business structures changing. We have viruses whipping through and knocking us out. And I don't think that that change is going to slow down. I don't think that we are going to hit an era anytime soon where things are going to feel settled. And so when I realized that, I realized I had to make a choice. And the choice was to be somebody who was really comfortable with change and really focused on navigation. And as soon as I shifted my mindset to this might never feel settled around me, but you just have to get really good at navigating that and embracing change, something inside of me broke open and relaxed. And so I would just say like that takes a while and don't, don't think that you're going to get there right away, but think about like the kind of creature that you are and can you be a creature that can embrace change more because we're going to keep getting hit with it over and over. Yeah. The word navigation, I think is a great one. It's sort of as if you're a skipper on a yacht and you're having to navigate your way through different weather conditions and different environments. Yeah. And the only way that you can navigate in something like this is to really deeply know what you're about because the world isn't going to give us those definitions or those paths anymore. There's not going to be a, okay, here's the path from like how I started junior copywriter up to like global CCO, like that path doesn't exist anymore. Right. So what we have to do in navigating is just really understand what we're about. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really, really important point. And actually it brings me to sort of how did you then, you know, move to what you're doing now? How did you find your path and navigate your way through this uncertainty? Well, Here's the thing. I have this really weird career pattern in that about every seven years, everything goes off track. The seven-year itch. Seven-year itch. Uh, it's, it's weird for me. So I came to New York and I waited tables for two years. Then I worked for seven years. And then I lived out of a truck for two years and freelanced. And then I did my last era, which was W&W and CZI for roughly seven years. And now I feel like I'm back in the two-year moment. And there is something comforting about that to me. I'm in the liminal space right now. I know what I'm not going back to. I don't know exactly what's next. And my first two rocks around, whether it was when I was waitressing or in the truck, taught me that those liminal spaces are okay. And there's actually a lot of work and transformation that happens in those liminal spaces. So for me, it's just embracing not knowing which can be terrifying some days, but just reminding myself, like you've been here before, you know, you're going to get through it. And is there any kind of process that you go through or is it, are you just letting it happen? I think a lot of it's just letting it happen, but it is just being super diligent about the tools that work for me. And I'm so, you know, for me, journaling works really well. And, you know, without sounding like totally cliche, meditation for me is a really important, almost daily practice And I know when I'm getting all caught up in my head and I'm getting crazy, like I got to meditate, I need a journal, I need to work out, I need to get on the motorcycle. Like I have these medicines and actually I'd I'd love to bring up that concept now if you guys are okay with it. I've been really, really blessed to have spent a lot of time um, with some Native American communities here in the United States, uh, the Lakota tribe in South Dakota. And one of the most profound lessons that I've learned from my Lakota friends is this concept of medicine. And in Native culture, as best I understand it, so medicine are the things that help give us clarity and help heal us. 
And so a native culture in medicine is dancing, it's doing beadwork, it's writing a song, it's taking a walk, it's doing those things that like deeply fuel us. And it was an interesting thing for me to take the concept of medicine and the concept of healing and realize that these rituals and these activities, they heal. Yeah. There's a book I'm reading at the moment called Super Better. It's sort of tackling the same topic, but from a slightly different angle, because the author is all into the power of gamifying things. And so she refers to these things that can make you feel better as power-ups and that you actually, you know, it's so beneficial if you consciously know what your power-up is or what your medicine is, and you've got a whole different range and variety of them that you can make sure you kind of top up on daily. This seems like there's quite a similarity in the concepts there. That's so cool. Yeah. Such an important concept, isn't it? Yeah. You know, your, with your expertise in brand, Heidi, what's your advice to people who do feel knocked around and bruised but do need to get out there and get money coming back in whatever job that might be what's your advice to them in terms of how they show up and how they put if you like a mask on of feeling confident and when they're actually inside still feeling bruised vulnerable and bewildered about what's going on yeah it's a great question I'm a big believer in energy there was a while after everything went down that the phone wasn't ringing for me right And it really started to affect my ego. I was like, why is nobody calling to work with me? (laughs) Like, I'm free. And then I realized because I wasn't putting the energy out that you should be calling me. And so I'm a big believer that like, put the energy out about the things that you want and show up that you want it and treat every interaction as a gift. There's a reason that you're in that room and there's a reason that you're having that coffee with somebody or you're in that interview space. So look for the opportunity in it. And that might not lead to a job right away, but by going into things open-hearted and looking for the opportunities, and I'm not talking about the smarmy opportunities. I'm not looking like, what can you do for me kind of opportunity. It's more the, what am I supposed to learn from this interaction? That stance opens up your heart and then the energy can start to flow Mm. and then things start to happen. Mm, That's interesting. It's sort of like having a curious lens, isn't it? And I would add to... I don't know what you think, Heidi, but also going in with how could I help this person, even though you're the person that really needs help, if you can also think, how could I add value to them? Yes, totally. And thinking forward, when we're all out of coronavirus times and quarantine times, you know, how are you imagining what success looks like for you now, Heidi? Oh, that's a great question. Oof. So I would say my definition for success hasn't really changed in the last 10 years. I'm 41 now. But it is doing work that feels deeply right and going in and trying to do crazy things. (laughs) And they might fail, but at least I tried. I think trying is so important and something that I've had to learn in the last year, especially, is to be really proud of the journey of W&W and CZI even though from the outside looking in, it might've looked like a hot mess at the end, but to really be proud in the fact that I took those chances, that I took risks that other people wouldn't take, that I went for it when most people would say, no, I can't go for it. It's too much. So for me, it's, you know, really understanding my truth and then being as brave about it as I can be. That's success. 
Yeah, that that reminds me of this beautiful quote from your Medium article that I absolutely loved, which is, no one that has actually lived an interesting or deeply fulfilling life has lived a smooth one. (laughs) I I do deeply believe that. (laughs) It's true. It's so true. So true. And I think that's a beautiful note to end on, Heidi. Thank you so much for both updating us with your incredible journey. And we salute the generosity spirit that I think was behind and the essence of your posting that really amazing article on Medium. And we really hope your niece, Anna, goes for it in a big way (laughs) and does you proud. But, yeah, thank you so much for joining us again. It's been a real joy to catch up again. Yeah, it really has. Oh, Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you. Wow, what a story that is. You know, I hope that for anyone out there struggling with job loss, job transition, or even just a lack of clarity, that Heidi's story provides you with just some hope and inspiration. Absolutely. You know, and it's just so awesome that Heidi is now flying high again as Executive Creative Director for the booming Oatly brand in North America. Yeah, and do you know their sales have exploded more than 200%. Apparently, oat milk last year was flying off the shelves in the US as we went into lockdown. Yeah, and I think it still is. I'm really, really happy for her. Yeah, me too. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Stay tuned for our mini episode next week where one of Australia's most successful and wealthiest entrepreneurs gets real about what it's like to be a startup founder. Don't miss that one. And in the meantime, stay safe, try oat milk and ciao for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.